I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The White House Chief of Staff has traditionally been known as the gatekeeper. Well, we have gone behind the gates with Mark Meadows live from the White House. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. Little change of scenery today, joined as always by the senator and Mark Meadows. Great to be with you. Mr. Meadows, I'm noticing now it is seven o'clock here. This is probably the earliest you have gotten off work since you've taken on well, this job. Well, as soon as we get off work, I'll let you know whether that's the case <laughs> yeah, or not. Uh, fair enough. You know, obviously, it's it's a 24-7 kind of, kind of job, but, uh, you know, our, our nation uh, is in a critical time where we've got to actually uh, make sure that people like Ted and I work together on behalf of all the freedom-loving, uh, forgotten men and women uh, uh, in this country. And, and really, the impact is well beyond this as Ted and I uh, have articulated a number of times. Well, but. because I know, Senator, you and Mr. Meadows go back a lot farther than just you taking this job as the White House Chief of Staff. Yeah, he he actually would talk to me before I actually was the Chief of Staff, you know, so I could count them on one hand. But uh. Well, Mark and I go back a long time. We were actually both elected to Congress on the same day, November 2012. Yeah, we yeah, showed up yeah. here January 2013, looked around and said, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> Um, and, and it was Barack Obama had just been reelected. It, it was a messed up time. But one of the things we found were both brand new is, is there were really only a handful of people willing to stand up and fight for anything. And so that we became so 
fast friends. We became fast friends fighting against Obamacare, where we're standing up going, wait a second, we got elected to fight this damn thing. And, and too many Republicans just wanted to give in. And, and, and it, it's interesting. In Washington, like anywhere else, courage is contagious. So, so before he was chief of staff, Mark led the Freedom Caucus in the House. <laughs> and, and, and Mark, you know, it may be helpful. Look, the, the folks that watch and listen to this podcast are, are a savvy, educated group. But, but explain to folks what the Freedom Caucus is and why it, why it matters. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you, you're right. We came in together. And what I found, Michael, was is that most members of Congress on both the Senate side and the House side actually had the backbone of a banana. You know, it had great shape until it was peeled back and it got real mushy. Uh, Ted Cruz was not one of those. And, 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 and immediately we formed this friendship. But what I found was is unlike Ted, who was willing to stand on courage and, and, and I might add a great personal cost where, you know, if you stand for the people back home, you don't get invited to dinners in Washington, D.C. And, and it's a real cost. Yep. There's not a benefit package of being a real true conservative. But that being said, I think uh, what I saw was what Ted was able to do in the Senate. I said, well, we've got to create that same kind of leverage over in the House. And the problem is the key number in the House was 218. Yeah. We had the majority. And I said, well, gosh, you know, if a few of the conservatives would stay together, uh, we could actually make some policy differences because they would need our vote to be able to do it. And Obamacare was the first fight. We made Ted an honorary member of the Freedom Caucus. He was welcome in our meeting anytime, but it was all about leverage. And yeah. for us, it was about making sure that we didn't just go along to get along, but we, we actually stood for something. And uh, one of the amendments on the Obamacare was what I call the, the Cruise Freedom Amendment. Yep. It yeah. was all about making sure that people had choices. Because th I think this is actually pretty important. The House Freedom Caucus, especially when it first came around, was the, the real deal. You know, these are the real conservatives. Some people are a little bit uh, less conservative. They talk a good game, maybe they don't vote that way. And the Freedom Caucus really stood for something. So the very fact that the White House Chief of Staff <laughs> is a Freedom Caucus guy, I mean, that, that does tell you something. And I know that this Obamacare fight, it didn't just end in... 2009 no. or 2013, or it kept going on and on. And I know you two worked on that together. Well, and it, it was interesting. You fast forward to, to 2017. President yep. Trump's been elected and, and, and there's a, an energy, a real passion to take on the Washington swamp. Yep. Right. And, and you remember the first thing that came up was, was Obamacare repeal. Yep. And uh, <laughs> first White House chief of staff was Reince Priebus. Reince is a good guy, but, but Reince was very, very close with Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House. They're both from Wisconsin. Yeah, and right. if you remember, the first draft of Obamacare repeal in the House was terrible. It was drafted by insurance company lobbyists. And it was garbage. But when it was drafted, you remember early on, the House leadership was trying to really weaponize the president to attack the Freedom Caucus, to attack <laughs> conservatives. And, you know, you go back to the first few months where the president was blasting them. And, and I still remember spring of 2017, Mark is in the House, he's leading the Freedom Caucus, I'm in the Senate, and, and we both go to Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> That's right. That's and, and right. basically just drop in on the president unannounced. We basically <laughs> called over and said, Mr. President, we need to see you. That's exactly right. That's and, how you're saying that's how urgent this was. This wasn't some pre-scheduled White House meeting. You go down to the president's uh, beach resort in Florida. And, and we sat there and said, listen, if you go down the road of this House bill, 
insurance premiums will go up. Hmm. And, yeah, and, did you hear what he just said? Insurance premiums go up. <laughs> I mean, that's not, I mean, yeah, it just. It, it, it was crazy. Now, the insurance lobbyists loved it. They want premiums yeah. to go up. But, but we're both saying, listen, the people who elected you, who elected us, they don't want us jacking up premiums. And it, and it was a really important, it started to shift that bill away from that first v- version, and it ended up getting significantly better. Yeah, I've I've never heard that story before, but something I've noticed just on these shows is you hear so much about how personal relationships and these sort of unplanned moments can really shift the path of policy in the country. Well, it does. But I think the other thing is the interesting thing. So so Ted goes, come on, I'm going over to see the president. You need to come with me. We need to talk to him about Obamacare. And I'm going, okay, well, you you got an appointment. No, no, we're just going. I mean, and so so you get this and you go, okay, we're going to drop in on the president of the United States and talk policy on a Saturday, by the way. We literally Ubered over. I mean, it was kind of, and you're sitting there going... I, it's a yeah. miracle Secret Service didn't shoot us. Yeah. And we're like, no, no, we're actually in Congress. They're like, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's a likely story. Yeah. But, but it's all about, one, relationships. You're exactly right, Michael. But the other part of that is, is about tenacity. Hmm. It's making sure you're tenacious about what you know is good for the American people. And you're willing to fight that fight. And, and Ted obviously has uh, not only a career of doing that, but when, when you look for profiles and courage, uh, you know, it's got his picture right yeah. there. And so for us in the Freedom Caucus, we just said, we want to give you a partner uh, in the House. And it came, uh, you know, at great personal costs. I mean, there were times when, uh, well, we missed a few dinners as well. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, a yeah, few yeah, cocktail yeah, party yeah, invitations yeah, did right, not come that's in. That's right. You know, something that I noticed, you obviously had this very public role before in Congress running the Freedom Caucus. Senator, you still have a very public role. But your job now, Mr. Meadows, is yeah. uh, a little bit more of a behind-the-scenes job. Could you maybe take us behind the scenes a little bit into uh, what that day looks like? Well, obviously, they've got cameras rolling here, so I don't know that it'll be too much behind the we scenes. But, but I will say this, uh, you know, since I've come over and we're, we're almost at, at day uh, 85 on this job, uh, I've done no press. So it's, yeah. it's, it is a behind the scenes. So to bring everybody behind the scenes, I think that the real key is I see the job is to serve the president of the United States who serves the American people. But it's also to make sure that every good idea that is in the Senate yep. gets the visibility with the president of the United States uh, in, a, in a nanosecond. And so one of the things that people don't realize is that I can get a phone call from Senator Cruz or uh, Senator Blunt or uh, Lindsey Graham. And they're saying, you know, listen, we've, we've got this, uh, this issue. We need you to take care of it. Sometimes it's just as simple as. Uh, we've got some constituents that have raised this concern. We want to make sure the president of the United States knows about it. And Ted, Ted can vouch for this. It's a phone call. Hmm. And, and within minutes, the president of the United States is weighing in on that particular issue. Yep. It's yep. nothing like anything I've ever seen. And it, it's trying to be the gatekeeper behind the scenes that uh, maybe is not as much of a gatekeeper is, is their megaphone within the West wing. Hmm. And so, Senators have better access, I think, to this president than historically has been the case. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, The closer the president is to the American people, the more he hears from from the people of Texas through through Ted or the the people of South Carolina through Tim Scott or Lindsey Graham or whichever senator it might be, the better off it is. And so uh, 
but it's also the power of the executive branch. You know, when, when I was in Congress, I was saying, boy, I, I, all I wanted to do is make sure that Congress was empowered. Right. Well, it's a little bit different role now, <laughs> but we, if we work hand in glove, I think what we can do, this president is willing to do things that most presidents are not willing to do uh, uh, and, and take political risk. Yeah. You know, we've, we have an embassy that uh, in, in Jerusalem is something that Ted and I yeah. share passionately together. That would, it's been promised before. You know, and and it never happened. Uh, and Both so, Republican and Democratic presidents have broken that promise. They have. And Trump is the first one to follow through. On. I, I have true. to make a confession. When President Trump, when he was running and he said, I'm going to move the embassy in, in Israel to Jerusalem, I just didn't believe him. I said, that's the sort of thing people say, but then they don't actually do it. And I think a lot of people in Washington thought that. And then when it actually happened, everybody was so surprised. One thing that's really unusual in this administration is, is the kind of lead person on on Israel policy uh, has been the U.S. ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, who's mm. a great guy. He's become a close friend. And, and it's unusual. I don't know of any instance where an right. ambassador has had that kind of influence. No. And it's because the president knows and trusts him. And David mm. is, is passionately committed to strengthening the U.S.-Israel relationship. But I, I worked very closely with David after the president made the announcement. Yeah. Because, look, the nature of Washington, the swamp, the State Department, Foggy Bottom did yeah. not want this to happen. So here's how they would normally kill it. They would just slow roll it. We need to study for a year the feasibility. We need to do a security assessment. Mm -hmm. we, need to, we need to do this and that. And their plan, it was clear what their plan was going to be, delay it four years. Yep. Right. They were hoping Trump loses re-election, and then the, next, the Democrat who comes in will cancel the announcement. Right. And, and what the Trump administration did, and David was the point person, I said, David, the only way this happens is if you open the damn embassy. You don't announce it. Right. You open it. And they found a facility that was a consular facility in Jerusalem and within a year opened the damn thing. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And, and it there was hasn't tenacity been. And, and the bureaucracy at state was shocked. Yeah. But, but that <laughs> so behind the right? scene, like the urgency of understanding... Oh, and, and, and so true. And you talk about behind the scenes. So one story that I don't think is out there is, so the State Department pushing back, you know, continuing to push back. I think they gave a list of the pros and cons. And so there were a whole long list of all these cons. Yeah. Zero pros for You're moving. Kidding. Yeah, no, no, I'm telling you. <laughs> that's that, that subtle. You no, know, that's, I, and yeah. so that's something <laughs> yeah. that doesn't get reported. So it literally oh, was, my. you got all these reasons not to do it and no <laughs> reasons to do it. And yet this president stayed true to his campaign yep. promise. Yep. And, but, but it takes the encouragement. Sometimes it's a phone call from Ted Cruz in the middle of the night saying, you know, Golly, it's the right thing to do, and, uh, and that affirmation makes a big difference. Well, this, what you said earlier is very interesting to me, this idea that the chief of staff is the gatekeeper, but the flip side is it means you're the megaphone for good ideas. You're the megaphone mm -hmm. for ideas that you're hearing well, from let, people let like me the give, Let me give a real-time example. So, yeah. so Mark's been in office a couple of months. Yeah. Um, you remember a couple of months ago, the president was meeting with CEOs of a bunch of big oil companies. Yeah. And, and I was really worried that at the time, and when the meeting was initially announced, it was just the CEOs of the giant companies. And so I called Mark That's and I said, right. look, I this, forgot is, about this. this is a real problem yeah. because the way energy works, yeah. there are a bunch of small independent producers, a lot of guys in Texas that aren't the, you know, giant super majors that have the GDP of a country, but they're the innovators. They're the ones that drive the domestic production. And, and early on, they were not on the meeting invite list. And so I called Mark and said, look, this is a real problem. Yep. We need to make sure 
We've got an independent producer there. Mark not only got it done, but, but said, look, you need to be there. And I got on a plane the next day. In fact, it was funny. When I walked in, there were a couple other senators there. They said, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I, I, funny you should ask. And, and, and it was because Mark said, come to the meeting. Oh. And at that meeting, you mm. want to talk about real action. We pressed a couple of things. Remember, price of oil was collapsing. Millions of jobs yeah. were in jeopardy. And two things came out of that meeting. Number one, the president leaned in hard against the Saudis and the Russians and got them to back off their economic warfare against the U.S. Right. But number two, the president directed, I suggested to the president, there was a real problem of capital being cut off from energy. Right. And, and I suggested to the president, if you would, you would instruct the secretary of energy, Dan Briette, who was there, the secretary of, of, of the treasury, Stephen Mnuchin, yeah. to make sure that, that, that Wall Street doesn't discriminate against energy and yeah. bankrupt every U.S. energy producer. And the president right there said, do it. He looked at Dan and said, make it happen. And that made a real, mm. real difference in terms of capital being available and literally saving millions of jobs in this country. Yeah. And so in less than 48 hours, a phone huh. call from a senator to the chief of staff, and he's sitting in the cabinet room of the White House uh, with another invited guest who was not on the list, uh, advocating for what is important to the people back home in Texas. And, and, and so that happens a lot. The other thing that I think that is critical is you know, you've got this massive bureaucracy with agencies and you think, oh, there's a Republican administration. So you, you but there is the swamp that continues to go on, whether it's a Democrat or Republican in uh, in the Oval Office. The elected people come and go. Yeah, but and, and they just kind of wait them yep. out. It's exactly yeah. what Ted was saying. They wait them out. And so one of the great things is, is that if Ted or one of his colleagues, they're getting, you know, the stiff arm. I call it the legislative Heisman. You know, if they're <laughs> yeah. getting that, uh, it's real easy for me to pick up and say, you know, why am I getting this phone call from this senator uh, on you not responding to their phone call? Oh, well, we were busy. Well, I, I was busy, too, and I took his call. I mean, why aren't you taking And so sometimes it's just making them aware that there's somebody else uh, willing to hold them accountable. And, and two branches there. I mean, this is actually yeah. something, Senator, I know you've talked a lot about, is you've been talking now for years about social media censorship, censorship of conservatives. Yep. Well, just recently, we got <laughs> yeah. out of, out of the yeah. executive branch, this yeah. executive order on social media censorship. We still don't know a whole lot about that. At least I don't know a lot about that. Maybe could you tell us a little bit about how that came to be? Well, I think Ted and I uh, know that as conservatives, sometimes our conservative voice uh, doesn't reach the audience as quickly or as effectively as it is normally intended. It's a diplomatic way to put yeah, it. Yeah, well, I can tell you, I was one of the few members of Congress back when I was in Congress that was actually shadow banned by Twitter. Yeah. And so we ought to put that out on a tweet and see if they take that down. They'll say it wasn't shadow banned that we were, but it only happened to be four conservative members of Congress, myself, Matt Gates, Devin Nunes, and Jim Jordan. So you're saying hey, AOC didn't fall into that? that? That's no, so she didn't, she didn't yeah. make it into that. Uh, so, so one of the things that, that's important is, is that we need to make sure that the free press is really the free press yeah. and it's not censored. And what, what Twitter has done, probably more so than some of the other social media platforms, but YouTube is doing it as well, uh, is that they come in and they start to actually monitor content. Yeah. And so it's not this free, open, what I call the wild, wild west of social media. That's the way I and. And as freedom-loving individuals, we want the free market to work. Yeah. But when the free market starts to get uh, monopolized uh, by content police, 
then it's important for us to step in. So we did an EO that actually has the potential of taking away their their protection from litigation. So if, if we can't fix it or if Congress can't fix it, let the trial attorneys fix it. it it'll happen real quick. <laughs> Unleashing the trial attorneys is a really powerful weapon. And I got to say, this is an issue where White House leadership was so needed and it's so mm-hmm. important because we, we've, you and I have talked about this before. One of the challenges on the issue of, of big tech censorship is all the federal agencies are siloed. And, and, and it's a hard issue where the antitrust division at the Department of Justice doesn't quite fit into what they think they want to do. The FTC, it doesn't quite fit in what do they want to do. The FCC, everyone has is sort of looking at their own slice of the problem. And the president's executive order on this was important to say, damn it, this matters. I think it's the biggest threat to democracy in the hmm. whole country. But we needed, we needed the president and the White House to lead to get the rest of the executive focused on protecting free speech altogether. Right. Well, the interesting thing, and so I, I always try to give you a little bit of a backstory that yeah. no one else knows. So that EO, as it relates to Section 230, uh, we started putting it around for a little bit of comment on a very limited basis. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, this proposed EO shows up in the New York Times. And, and it really was fed to the New York Times by uh, a federal worker that didn't agree with uh, this administration, or at least it appears that they didn't, and they didn't agree with the EO. And so they took it and fed it to uh, um, outside sources. And I, I'm glad to say that we were able to track that person down. They no longer work for the federal government. Wow. I'm glad to, because <laughs> right, that's, let, let me ask a question here. That's yes. a great, I hadn't heard that story. And that's, that's a great story. Yeah. Let, let me take it a slightly different direction. So, so the job Mark has now, I think, is, is, may well be the hardest job in all of Washington. So Mark is chief of staff, is a cabinet member. Yep. But, but he's charged with basically wrestling alligators all, all day long <laughs> and, 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 and trying to get some semblance of order and decision-making process in this. And, and you look at some of the chiefs of staff that have come before. They have been... You know, you've had Howard Baker, who was a Senate majority leader. You've had right. John Sununu, who was a governor. Right. I mean, you, you, you've had... Major, major, and, and 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 I think one of the greatest chiefs of staff ever was, was James Baker. Right. And there's a legendary discussion. So Baker was Reagan's chief of staff, and the head of OMB was David Stockman. And Stockman yeah. had done an interview in the Atlantic, crapping all over the president. It was a terrible interview, yeah. basically saying the president's economics is all wrong. It was a horrible interview, and there's a great story. Uh, a baker calling calling Stockman in. And Stockman was going to go to meet with Reagan, and and Baker is quoted. And I'm not. I'm going to keep this PG rated, so <laughs> I'm not going to quote audience. what <laughs> Baker said. But you can go look it up. Yeah, ba- baker it. said, "David, you're having lunch with the president, and the menu is humble blanken pie. <laughs> and when you walk out of that room, you're sorry, blankety blank blank. Better be dragging on the ground." <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and look, Stockman was not, shall we say, timid or shy. Yeah. And you've got to be enough of a principal, enough of a leader, strong enough to stand up to cabinet members, to stand right. up to congressional leadership, to stand up to whoever. And, and I got to say, I'm thrilled Mark is in this job. Yeah. So all of that is a setup to just, just ask a question. What is a day in the life of a chief of staff. Just, a, you know, a typical day, like, like, what do you do each day? 
You know, that's that's interesting. My wife asked me that question. I said, no, nothing. I met with nobody. You know, and so so, so she may tune in just to figure out exactly what, yeah. uh, you know, it starts normally pretty early. So uh, I'll, I'll normally uh, come in around 7.15. I get a, a my daily briefing, which is an Intel briefing at 7.30 that will scare anybody of all the threats that we get. You know, it goes from there. We have a 15-minute meeting on what we call our, our, our senior uh, meeting on the comms of the day. So we'll look at what stories are out there. We go from, from there uh, to a number of, of policy meetings. All of this is happening before before 11 o'clock. So you, you try to get in a full day's work before 11 o'clock. Um, and, and as we look at that, the, the big thing then becomes, all right, what are we going to do with, with the policy and the, and the calendar? Cause all you have is, is a full day yeah. and you've, it, it, it is always full. There's, there's always more to do than what you could ever fit in. And so, uh, are we advancing it? And the big thing that you're saying, Ted is, we start to put time frames on. Well, if we've got this policy, when is the president going to be able to make a decision on it? Because he, he doesn't care about the rhetoric. Now, he does like creative chaos. So yeah. if you want to come in. So normally uh, in the afternoon, you have at least one creative chaos moment where you have a whole bunch of people come in from the West Wing. They're arguing back and forth. Yeah. And he will purposefully, you know, he would look at you, Michael, and say, well, what do you think? Yeah. Knowing that you have an opposing view from Ted. And then he'll go, well, Ted, don't you disagree with yeah. that? And then yeah. sit back really? and watch you fight. Oh, yeah. And watch you fight. Yeah. And You've been in those meetings many times. And so, uh, you know, so a a lot of times what will happen is, is those will continue on. And then around five o'clock or so, you're normally getting back to some of the emails and so forth that you have trying to set up uh, the follow up. Because I've got a, I try to make sure that I'm calling everybody back Mm -hmm. uh, before I go to bed. Now, that's something, sometimes that means that. I'm calling them back at 1130 uh, at night <laughs> from bed. Uh, yeah. uh, well, uh, so I'll normally get home between eight and nine thirty, and, uh, and, and you're doing all your emails. Cause a lot of times you have your, your phone and it goes in a, a secure setting cause you're actually in a skiff. So you're getting secure yeah. phone calls throughout the day. Uh, you'll talk to cabinet members. You mentioned cabinet members. So you'll normally, I'll normally have four or five calls with different cabinet members every day. Uh, sometimes it's those candid conversations where you said, you said what? Uh, and, uh, and, and who thought that that was a good idea? Uh, but, but in that, I think the the real key, it's all about results. And, and the, the key with results is that if you produce, uh, you start to restore the confidence that comes back. And, and it's why people hate politicians. You know, I used yep. to say that members of Congress had an approval rating lower than a cockroach. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that's saying something. And I didn't know it was quite that high. But, but as we look at this, um, it's, it's about, uh, you know, making sure that we work with the, the national security team, the Mike Pompeos, and et cetera. You know, I think probably the biggest thing is, is for Ted and I, uh, Fighting for freedom is a 24 7, 365 day a year job. And, and it is calling. It's a calling. And, you know, whether I'm here tomorrow or gone tomorrow, yeah. you know, you got to give it your utmost while you're there. Uh, the president comes under unbelievable attacks. Uh, 
and and what it's it's doing is preparing him to make the best decisions. He's a quick decision maker. And just like when he called out to Ted, he says, Ted, I want to make sure that gets done. That's a good idea. And he expects it to get done. Uh, and you think he will forget? Yeah. He never forgets. He doesn't forget. He never forgets. You know, it's very interesting. On this point of the unexpected and chaos, I don't know if our microphones are able to pick it up. But right now, we're here at the White House. Outside, you can hear the protests that have been raging for weeks. We know there have been riots around the country, cities burning down. What is the opinion here in Washington and in the White House on these protests? You can hear real time. They're outside screaming. We've obviously seen horrific violence. We've seen rioting. We've seen police officers murdered. And and, and it all started with a a grotesque act of of police brutality of George Floyd. What happened to him was wrong. It it is is exactly the right thing that the officers who did that are being prosecuted. And, and, And and. That's the way the system's supposed to operate. But, you know, I got to tell you, Mark was talking about the challenges any president faces, but in particular this president faces in this very polarized and divided time. Last week, last Thursday night, Heidi and I are doing date night in Houston. We're heading home from, from the restaurant. The president calls me on my cell phone, um, which, which happens he does pretty regularly. regularly. <laughs> and, and we talked about a couple of things, but I told him, I said, Mr. President, Heidi's here. You mind if I put, put you on speaker? And so she, he, he chatted with Heidi. But it was interesting. Heidi, Heidi said, she said, Mr. President, it is really, really important for you to speak out to the racial injustice in this country and, yeah. and for you to speak for unity. And, and she was really heartfelt and, and, and emotional about it. Said she, you know, Heidi said, look, I can't think of anything more important for you to do. And it was interesting afterwards. I told her, I said, you know, Heidi, he actually has. And he has repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And you haven't heard it. Because the media won't cover it. So, so when he stands up right. and says, don't commit, commit rioting and burn churches down and, and, and murder police officers, they'll cover that sort of. Yeah. But when he speaks out and says what happened to George Floyd was wrong and racist and bigoted and, and, and the officers who did that need to be prosecuted, they don't cover that part of it. And, and that's got to be frustrating. Well, it is frustrating. Uh, he gave a, an unbelievable speech when we saw uh, SpaceX, uh, Elon Musk rocket go, uh, go in, uh, into orbit. And uh, he gave a great speech. And the first part of that speech was literally about what you were talking about. Didn't get covered. I mean, in fact, you you said, right. well, he gave a great speech and no one could find it. They couldn't see it. It wasn't, you know, CNN, MSNBC. None of them covered it. E- even I, who I am living this stuff, I'm a political you junkie. Didn't see it, did you? I didn't see yeah. it. Yeah, and yep. so so you have all of that, and, and throw so, social media censorship on top of that. That's right. Well, and that's the key. That's why the the EO on the social media platforms yep. is so key because it is the workaround. And the very fact that people are viewing this right now or hearing this yep. is is a critical thing that we have to preserve and protect. But I say the other other aspect of that is this when. When you look at what this president faces, um, it is the voice of a, millions of people across this country that actually get to him, that yeah. he sees it in real mm-hmm. time. He hears mm-hmm. about it from, from senators who are constantly calling out. Another story that no one knows about, you know, so we have a, a, a church that was burning. Yeah. I'm getting text messages and, and, and everybody's saying the president has got to do something. Washington, D.C. literally was burning. You yep. know, Lafayette yep. Park. Uh, it was a Sunday night. 
Uh, I'm on the phone with the president of the United States after midnight. And uh, he says, you know, we, Mark, we've got to get control of it. So what happens is, is the next morning, we put things in, in, in motion with Attorney General Barr and, and, and bring in National Guard troops and all of that to actually say that we're going to restore law and order. And you know what happened? We restored law and order. Right. Now, it, it's, uh, but that wasn't the first midnight call. The first midnight call was in Minneapolis, where he calls the governor of Minnesota and says, Governor, and, and I was on the phone with General Milley, with the president. The president calls the governor of Minnesota, says, listen, I'm watching in real time what's happening in, in your cities uh, there in, in Minnesota. He says, yeah, the police have abandoned things. He says, we're going to send the National Guard. We'll help you. And that was a president at almost 1 a.m. talking wow. to a governor in Minnesota. Nobody ever sees that. Yeah. Nobody even knows that Does that happened other on? than the three of us that were on the phone call. Right. Well, this, so we have to get to a couple mailbag questions. Okay. The, I think the audience okay. will kill us if we don't okay. do it. Uh, the, the first question is directly about your job. Mr. Meadows, what is the least expected thing that you found about your job when you started it? You know, I thought I had it all figured out the minute I got here. And it's kind of like a minor league player yeah. getting called up to the big leagues. The pitches are faster. They do brushback pitches. I thought I had had everything said and done to me in Congress that could have been said or done. Right. And that was not the case. And so uh, so I think probably the, the biggest thing was was that uh, the other big surprise is is how much the president wants to hear from the American people. He, I knew he wanted to hear from Ted and I, yeah. but he really he, he keeps saying, well, what are the American people saying? What are they wanting? And that was the... Uh, it was it was really eye opening. Well, the, ne the next question is for both of you. Uh, this question came in. We're in an election year. If uh, all the protests and all the craziness that we've been seeing didn't remind us of that, we're in an election year. Assuming everything goes well, what's priority number one? Looking ahead into 2020, 2021, 2022. Restart the economy and bring back jobs. <laughs> Amen. Three yeah. four months ago, we had booming economic growth. We had the lowest unemployment in 50 years. And by the way, you want to talk, you want to talk racial equality? We had the lowest African-American unemployment ever right. recorded. Now, tragically, that, that, that got derailed by, by a global pandemic from Wuhan, China, that, 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 that ended up, we, we had a lockdown across the country and we destroyed 40 million jobs. And, yep. and coming out of that is not going to be easy. But I'll tell you this, if, if God forbid we go down a socialist road of, of, of the far left, um, jacking up taxes, destroying small businesses, that's going to kill jobs. And by the way, if they follow through on their promise to abolish police departments, <laughs> a whole lot more people are going to die. And, yeah. and, and so I, my top priority, and I, I think yours and the yeah. president's, is get get this economy moving back and bring back jobs. It has to be. I mean, that's the number one priority. It's also the thing that the president is best at. Right. He's already right. done it. He can do it again. He's already starting to do it again. And then along with that is preserving freedoms. I think we're getting to a place where we see defund the police. We yep. see, you know, uh, abolish ICE. We see what so many on the left are wanting to do is basically say, we don't want any rules but more importantly, we don't want anybody to even enforce the rules that should be enforced. Right. And, and so we need to make sure that we preserve freedom. 
but also understand that we need to uphold the rule of law. But, but certainly the economy is number one. Because we are a nation of law, not a nation of men, though there are men that need to help us maintain the, those right. laws and maintain those freedoms. Right. Uh, and, and, and women. And women, and women. I, was, I know, I, now we're going to be canceled. We are certainly going to be censored for that. But we have taken enough of your time, Mr. Meadows. I'm sure you've got another several hours of work to do. So thank you so much no, for being you. here. thank you. It's been great to be with you. And Senator, we'll see you on the next episode. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.